Well, I greet you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's good to be with you this evening as we embark on the epistle of James. <clears throat> has anyone uh, has anyone been convicted lately? Has anyone been challenged? Yeah, good. That's what it's supposed to do. Uh, James is the New Testament equivalent of the Proverbs. There's a lot of wisdom in James, and it's awesome that we are going through that wonderful epistle. I have a question for you all, and that is, how would you characterize yourself? How would you characterize yourself? Another question, what are some of the characteristics that you embody? What are some of the characteristics that you embody? I've had the privilege and honor to, to know most of you. Matter of fact, no, I know all of you. And it's been a joy. It, it really has been a joy to, to be your friend, to call you friend. Uh, to see your face on Sundays and Wednesdays and whenever we meet. But let me for a minute give you my assessment of, of you. Let me, let me give you what I think your characteristics are. And we have to start with at the head, right? So, pastor. I've known pastor for some time now, uh, all my life. And what I see in pastor is... He's a very gentle man. He's a very understanding man. But he's also a very firm man. He's a very tough man when it needs, when he needs to be. Uh, Pastor John, who's in the back. Pastor John, if you don't know Pastor John, turn around. He's right there. Okay. Pastor John is very funny. Very, very funny. He's very easygoing. But he's also very goal-driven, and he's very serious when he needs to be. Uh, Arnold and Karina, they are very hospitable, and they're very relatable. Leela <clears throat> is very sweet and tender-hearted, as most of you women in here are as well. Brother Joe is hard-working, and he's reliable. Anytime I need Joe, he's right there. Patrick is, uh, Patrick is cool. Uh, uh, he likes motorcycles. And, uh, and Bobby, uh, Bobby's just bald. Um, that's how I would characterize Bobby. I haven't found anything yet, but I will find something. But how would you characterize yourself? Uh, was I right in my assessment? What would you say about yourself? Then ask yourself, are those qualities about yourself different from the qualities that the people in the world possess? I mean, I've met people who are hardworking and who are tenderhearted and who are cool and who are bald. So what makes Christian characteristics different from the people's of the world characteristics? What, what separates us? Are Christians any different from the people of the world? And the answer is, of course, yes. 
from an objective standpoint, Christians are different from the world, from the people of the world. We have different characteristics. We have been given special saving grace from God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We have union with Christ. We are the people of God. So we are different from the world from an objective truth standpoint. However, are we different from the world in a subjective, practical, everyday living standpoint? When the world looks at you and me, can they see something different about us? Can they see that we are not of this world? Can they see that this world is not our home? Can they notice that, that there's something else, there's something weird and strange about who you are? Maybe in the way that you respond to negativity. Maybe it's the way that you handle confrontation. Or maybe it's the way that you speak to others. But can people of the world, but also people of the faith, can they see that you are bearing fruit? Can the people of the world see that you are displaying God's image? Or when they look at you, do they see the image of themselves? James, so far, has been giving us great Christian counsel. And he's been forcing us to look at the mirror and to examine ourselves. James has been giving us great Christian counsel, but... He's also been setting up how different true Christians are to be from people of the world. For example, he points to our emotions in verse 2, James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. That is weird, right? Who would say something like that? When trials come our way, we are to count it all joy? True believers are not to throw up their hands and throw a party every single time trials come. But true believers are to be joyful in their trials because we have a firm foundation. We are confident in the sovereignty of God. And we are confident that God's glory will come out of it. And our, our good will come out of it. But also, trials produce good Christian characteristics. Remember what Paul said in Romans 5, verse 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Paul says rejoice, and likewise, James tells us that we are to have joy. The world doesn't have joy when trials come their way, do they? The world has chaos. The world doesn't know what to do. James points to the mind in verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let them ask God. True believers' wisdom is to come from God. Where does the world's wisdom come from? Other people's opinion, self-help books, music, psychiatrists. We are different from the world. James will now turn our attention to how we are to act in those trials. And he's sort of already done that, but now he's going to go a little bit deeper. He's going to go a little bit farther in how a Christian, how true Christians are to respond in trials and temptations and in tests. And in our three verses tonight, James will give us three ways in which we are to be different from the world in those trials. Three marks, three Christian marks that not only sets us apart from the world, but also sets us apart from who's a real Christian and who's a fake Christian. James tells us that true believers possess three characteristics in a trial. 
And if you're taking notes, these are my these are my three points. Number one, true believers are quick to hear. True believers are quick to hear. Number two, true believers are slow to speak. True believers are slow to speak. And number three, true believers are slow to anger. True believers are slow to anger. So in light of that, let's stand for the reading of the word. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That is the Lord's word. That is our text for this evening. You may be seated. Let's first look at the first point. True believers are quick to hear. And as a side note, who is cold in here? Raise your hand. Can we turn that down? Because my hands are already cold. Okay. Thank you. Bless you, Joe. So let's go back to verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone, let every person be quick to hear. This is written to the church. Notice how James says, my beloved brothers. So this is written to people of the faith. Let every person, there's no distinction here. Every Christian believer should know this. This one thing. Be quick to hear. Now, hearing is something that we do often in our everyday lives, don't we? Uh, We hear our bosses yell at us. Uh, You guys hear your children give you attitude and talk back to you. We hear, we use our hearing to watch movies, to listen to music, to listen to other people, whether they be gossiping or whether they be uh, uh, saying good things. But what does James mean when he tells us we must be quick to hear? Are we to be quick to hear everything in general? Let's remember the context of these verses is how true believers deal with trials and temptations and testings. And James, throughout this epistle, as you know, is giving us tests for living faith. The whole epistle of James is a series of tests by which you can measure the reality of, or lack of reality of faith. The first test that James gave to us is, is how we are to respond in trials. How you respond to trials is an indicator of whether or not your faith is real. How you respond to trials and temptations is an indicator of whether your faith is real. So here in verse 19, James tells us we are to be quick to hear. Again, is James saying we're, when we are going through those things, are we to listen to everyone who gives us advice? Is he talking about being a good hearer? Is he saying you need to be a good listener and a slow speaker and you need to shut your mouth and just hear? Is he saying you need to be a patient, quiet listener? No, James here is speaking of the hearing of the word of God. James is talking about the hearing of the word of God. 
be quick to hear the word of God. The Greeks and the educated Jewish aristocrats at the time considered the eloquence of speech the most important thing a person could do. But here, James flips that upside down. He focuses, uh, he takes his focuses from, from elegant speech to eloquent listening. James makes, wants us to make sure that, that not only are we good listeners, but we listen to God. We listen to the word of God. We listen to his precepts and, and his call when we are going through a trial and a test. And that's what true believers, that's what sets us apart from the world. But also that's what sets us apart from false believers. When we are going through a trial and a test, what sets true believers apart from the world and from pretend believers is true believers are quick to hear the word of God. How did I arrive at the conclusion that James is speaking of the word of God? Because the word of God is the theme of the first chapter. Verse 18, the word of God is mentioned. The word of truth is mentioned. Verse 21, the implanted word is mentioned. Verse 22, be doers of the word is mentioned. It is called in verse 23, a glass or a mirror. It is called in verse 25, the perfect law of liberty in which we look to or we look at. The word of God is the theme. So I have a question. Brothers and sisters, when you are going through a trial, what and who do you allow yourself to hear? When you are going through a trial, what and who do you allow yourself to hear? Another question, what and who has your attention in a trial, in a temptation, in a test? Another question, who is speaking into your life in a trial, in a test, and in a temptation? Many of us turn to the hearing of music. Uh, we think the lyrics of a song will help us ease our stress and our pain. And sometimes it does. Many turn to the hearing of friends and family because they know, they know us best and, and they know just the right things to tell us. Many turn to the hearing of movies. So they can escape the world just for a minute and the current trials that they are currently in. But here James is saying, when true believers are going through a trial, all of those things are secondary. What's primary is the hearing of the word of God. This is what makes us believers distinct from the world. We believers run to the word of God. We run to the hearing of the word of God. We are to be better listeners and hearers than speaking speakers. And that's very, very powerful. But that's also very, very, very hard. Why do I say that? Because we aren't born good listeners. Our natural inclination is not to be quick hearers when we are going through a trial. We are born talkers. And the world tells us that when we are going through a trial, when we are going through a temptation, we shouldn't keep silent. But here, James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says silence and hearing is actually better than speaking. And not just hearing of others' opinion, but the hearing of God's word. Notice how James says, be quick. This carries the meaning of, of one that runs to. It refers to don't waste any time or just like the Nike ad says, just do it. 
offer no excuses, no buts, no coming up with reasons. True believers dash to the word of God. James is also urging us to have a teachable spirit, ready to receive instruction from the word of God. We should be eager to listen to the word of God, always with a mind for applying it to our lives. And that's very difficult to have a teachable spirit, isn't it? Because we don't like people teaching us things when we're going through a trial, because we think that we know it all. We think we know what the conclusion is, how everything is supposed to happen. But part of running to the word of God is having a teachable spirit and coming under the authority of God and allowing him to teach you. And James knows that that's very hard to do. That's very hard for some of us to do, because when trials come our way, we tend to lean more on the opinion of men than on the opinion of God. We have that one auntie who, when trials come our way, she knows what to say. We have that one best friend, when trials come our way, she knows exactly what to say. But James says those are supposed to be secondary things. Those are secondary people that we run to. We need to run to the author and the finisher of our faith, our Lord. But James also knows that we are fallen. That's very hard to do because we are still fallen. And James knows it's difficult to run to the word of God because during a trial and during a temptation, the word of God often doesn't tell us the answers that we want to hear. Let me give you an example. Let's say someone hits you. The Bible says, turn the other cheek. Let's say someone is persecuting you. The Bible says we are to love our enemies. And we are to pray for those who persecute us. Let's say we are going through a trial. James tells us we are to be joyful. Those are very, very hard things to do. And very hard things to accept and digest. I've seen many men. And I've seen many women. In this church and growing up. Who are so called and self-proclaimed soldiers of God run into their foxhole and run into their bunker when trials and tribulations come. They stop coming to church. They stop fellowshiping with brothers and sisters. They stop being a part of the church, being a part of Christianity. Why? Because they could not stand on the word of God during hard times. And why? Because the word of God was not comfortable to them. God's word did not conform to their way of thinking. The word of God wanted to change them too much. And the word of God wanted them to endure hardships with joy. Who does that sound like? Our Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't want to conform to the image of Christ. Therefore, they exchanged the truth for a lie. And that's what you do when you don't run to the hearing of the word of God during a trial. You exchange God's truth for a lie. The word of God is not easy for us to digest at times. Hebrews tells us it's sharper than a two-edged sword. But brothers and sisters, when trials and temptations hit, allow that sword to penetrate and, and cut off those loose feathers of our flesh that, that holds us in like shackles and tries to wrap around our mind. Be quick to the hearing of the word of God during a trial. Listen to sermons about the word of God. Listen to Bible studies about the word of God. Listen to people that you know who speak the word of God and who will give you godly biblical counsel. Brothers and sisters, we as elders are always here. 
Let me say that one more time. We as elders, during your trial, are always here. Pastor is always ready and willing to counsel you and give you godly advice when you are going through something. That's one of his roles as a pastor, to shepherd the flock. You have your own counselor here. You don't need to go anywhere else. I encourage you to do that, brothers and sisters. Those who are part of this church, I encourage you to use us as resources. Use the brothers and sisters around you as resources when you are going through something. Talk to one another. Tell each other what you are going through. Hey, can you pray with me during this or through this? Hear what they have to say before you giving your own opinion on what you think is going on. I encourage you to do that this evening. The application James is getting at is when trials come our way, we are to run to the word of God. Simple as that. But let me broaden this hearing of the word of God out just a little bit more. Not only are true believers to be hearers of the word of God during a trial, but we're to be hearers of the word of God when everything is going fine and well. We're to increase every opportunity to the hearing of the word of God, of God's word. Friends, pursue every privileged occasion to obtain the knowledge of God and to obtain his divine will. That is a mark of a believer. True believers run to the word of God, long to read the word of God, want to learn about the word of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Brothers and sisters, We have the very words of Almighty God in our possession. We don't need others' opinion. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God is built. We are to build our our foundation on the word of God because the word of God is a firm foundation. All temporary things will pass away, but the word of God will stand forever. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and it's active. Luke 8.11 describes the, God, the, the word of God as a seed. In John 17, Jesus says the word of God is truth. Let us be people who are committed to the hearing of the word of God. And here at RBC, we have, you have many opportunities to hear the word of God. Not only do we have our usual Wednesday and Sunday services... And let me say something about the Wednesday services. When you come on Wednesday, it's, it's not the loosey-goosey, it's not the casual Wednesday service. No, this is the assembly of God's people. So when you come here, be prepared to be fed. I know many of you come from work and you come from picking up the kids and all that. But for an hour, you will, you will never get another time like this. You will never get another opportunity to sit down and just listen and to be fed the word of God. Start taking that more serious. Let's start making our Wednesday services like our Sunday services. Imagine that. I know it gets late, but hey, stay an extra 30 minutes and talk after service as well. I think that would be a great benefit for you. But not only do we have our Wednesday and Sunday services, but we also have the women of the word. Women, uh, if, if you want to get involved in that, it, we have it on Tuesdays, and they are currently going through the book of Romans. Men, we have a Bible study that our pastor leads called The Race. We are currently walking through the book of Romans as well, and it's been encouraging, but also it's been challenging. 
We have Sunday school class before service on Sundays that our elder John leads. And he's currently going through the essentials of the Christian faith. Invite your, get each other's numbers. Hey, you want to go through the Bible for a minute? Sometimes Arturo meets at his place just to talk about the word of God. When we go out and to evangelize, that's another opportunity for us to talk about the word of God. Let us be a people who love to be, who want to be surrounded with the hearing of the word of God. Let's start taking advantage of those opportunities, brothers and sisters. You wouldn't miss an opportunity for a free meal, would you? I wouldn't. Don't miss the opportunity of the hearing of the word of God. So James tells us through a trial, we must be quick to hear the word of God. Let's look at the second point, and that is true believers are slow to speak. True believers are slow to speak. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear. And notice what he says next, slow to speak. Now, when I was writing this sermon, when I was going through this, it is as if James is writing those words with me in mind. And those who know me, Know that I love to talk. And if you love to talk, this point is for you. Like hearing that we use often every day, the same can be said and the same can be true when it comes to our speech. I, for one, like I said, like to talk a lot. Uh, When I was in middle school, the teachers used to call my mother because I was disrupting class way too much because I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Talking too much is nine times out of ten always a bad characteristic to have. It really is. One social psychiatrist says people who are most likely to be overtalkers are people who are anxious and babble out of nerves, trying to please the person who they are talking to. Narcissists, and what that means is people who think that what they say is very important and very entertaining. I would also add, people who talk too much tend to draw people away from them. Because the bulk of the conversation is them dominating it, right? It's almost never a good thing to talk too much. And that's exactly the message James is conveying here. As quick as you are to listen, you are to be just as slow to speak. You are to be double slow to speak. During a trial, we are to be people who use our words wisely. Very wisely. Because have you ever noticed when you're going through a trial, you you tend to say things that you don't mean. You tend to be irrational about things, and and your thinking is never clear. Case in point, remember the story of Job? A devout man who was a servant of God, he was blameless and upright. One who revered God and avoided evil. Remember the the land and, and... the richness of Job, he, he had seven sons and three daughters, owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 ox of, yoke of oxen, one of the richest men of the East. Remember when Satan and God made a deal where Satan was allowed, in a sense, to turn Job's world upside down? So what does Satan do? Satan kills his children, the wife survives, and then what does he do? He attacks Job's health. And then what does Job do in there, in, in that time of suffering, that time of trials? He says the right things for a little while, but then he finally breaks down. 
And he demands God to show him what the heck is going on. God, you need to explain all of this. He was very irrational. He said things that he shouldn't have said. Isn't that much like us? When our trials and when our struggles start to come, don't we start to demand things from God? We start to coach God and we start to tell him what's going wrong in our lives. And, and sometimes we even make deals with God. I used to. God, if you give me an A on this report card, I promise you, I will turn to you. I will follow you. We start to plead with God. We start to say things that are that simply shouldn't be said. We curse God sometimes. We say things like, God, you're unfair. You're unloving. And sometimes we curse others. We speak too much. And we don't allow God to speak enough in our trials. Friends, we can deceive ourselves. And we often say things when we are in our trials that we ourselves want to hear. Instead of hushing our mouths and wanting to say things and waiting to say things that we need to hear. We are to control our tongues in trials and think before we speak. Because we talk continually. And when we do, we can't hear the voice of God. And we can't hear the voice of others. We are called to restrain our speech. This means we have to shut our mouths. Before we can engage our ears and open our hearts, we are to shut our mouths in order, to, in order for we can, in order to understand God and understand His will and under, to understand and to apply His precepts. We are to guard our mouths in trials. And I know that's very, very hard to do. And the reason why it's so difficult is because it calls for us to humble ourselves. Something that many of us don't like to do. It calls for us to check our pride that some of us have a lot of. Friends, listen though, it's okay to not know everything in a trial. It's okay. It's even more okay to humble yourself in trials and in temptations and in testings. It's okay to ask someone for godly advice when you're going through a trial. That doesn't make you weak. That doesn't make you less of a Christian. It actually makes you more of a Christian. Because you understand that Christianity is not an isolated thing, but it's a corporate thing. That is why the church is here. That is why you have brothers and sisters that come alongside of you to help you, to encourage you, to point out sin, and to help you through that sin. We need people in our lives whom we can come to, whom we can sit under, and who we can, where we can just shut our mouths and listen. Proverbs ten nineteen says, When words are many, transgression is lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17, verse 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Even a fool who's considered silent is considered wise. But get this. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Again, Proverbs 15. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch of the evil and the good. And hear this, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. 
Let that be some encouragement of you this, to, to you this evening in our trials and our testings. Keep silent. Guard your words because through the hearing of the word, through the hearing of the word, God speaks to his people in order to ease our comfort, our, our troubled soul, and to comfort us. Let us not only apply this to when we are going through trials, but then again, we should guard our mouths and, and, and watch what we say at all times. Sometimes, beloved, not saying anything is heard louder than saying a multitude of things. I can testify to that. It's okay to be silent at times. That doesn't mean that you're dumb. That doesn't mean that you don't know what to say. It means that you are humble. And you are practicing good Christian characteristics. Once a young man, hear this story, once a young man came to the great philosopher Socrates. We are told he wanted to be instructed in public speaking. Uh, the moment the young man was introduced to Socrates, he began to talk in an unending, incessant stream. He just went off. He just went off. No commas, no periods, just went off. When Socrates finally stopped him and got a word in, he said, Young man, to instruct you in public speaking, I'll have to charge you a double fee. To which the young man replied, A double fee? Why is that? Socrates replied, I have to teach you two sciences. First, how to hold your tongue, and second, how to use it. Take that story and digest that for a minute. We need to be careful in how much we talk. And we understand, or, or sometimes we think, that the only free thing in this world is our words. But our words can cost us. Our words can cost us a lot. Words have the power to... Reconcile relationships, but also has the power to break them just as quick. So be gentle with your speech. Be slow to your speech. And what you say when you're in that trial, let it be godly. Let it be godly. Let it be biblical. Let it be God-glorifying, Christocentric. I encourage you this, this evening in that. So we are to be slow to speak. And let's look at the last point. True believers are to be slow to anger. Slow to anger. And I know many of you have been waiting to hear this point. Again, verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. By a show of hands, who in here has an anger problem? Yeah, a lot of you guys ain't saved. Um... Everyone in here has an anger problem. And if you say you don't have an anger problem, then you have the biggest anger problem. <laughs> anger comes very naturally to us, doesn't it? Very naturally to it, to us. When we were born, one of our first emotions that was shown was anger. And as we grew older, our anger only increased. In fact, anger is the dominant human emotion that emerges right after the fall. We see Cain killing his brother Abel out of anger. Now we understand, even as Christians, anger is something that we all struggle with. And here in this verse, James tells us why our anger is wrong. James tells us our anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires. In our trials, our first emotion is anger, isn't it? As soon as the trial comes, we're angry. 
But I don't think that's necessarily the issue. Of course we will get angry, but the question is, how long will you allow that anger to linger on in your trial, in your temptation, and in your testing? For uh, some of us, some of us uh, can get angry really fast, really, really fast. Some of us, when we are angry, stay angry for a long time. Very, very long time. There are some of us who, when we get angry, our anger turns into resentment. And we start to shun other people. Oh, I remember three years ago, you made me angry. I'm not messing with you. Any of you like that? There are some people who hide their anger very well. And I am always in sin because I know when people are angry and I always love to push the buttons. Uh, my girlfriend is testament to that. Just, man, if, if, if a woman is angry at you, don't tell them, are you angry? Just leave it alone. Because ten times out of ten, they are angry. So just leave it alone, pray, you know, fast, do all you gotta do, just leave it alone. And there are some people who can, who can get over anger very, very quickly. Very quickly. And that is such a gift to have. But question, which one are you? Which one of those people are you? I think a better question to ask is, during a trial and testing, do you stay angry because your life isn't going the way you want it to? That is one of the reasons why we get angry in the first place, is it not? When we don't get our way, or when something is happening that we don't like, we get angry? Our response to trial is, yes, you're going to be angry. But that anger should only last for a moment. Friends, let us not live in anger. But when we are going through our trials, we repeat what James says in verse, one, in verse 2. Consider it pure joy. Brothers and sisters, when you, whenever you face trials of many kinds, was our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ ever angry during his last moments leading up to his death? The answer is no. He wasn't. Yes, he was troubled in his soul, but he was never angry. Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Christ embraced his trials. Christ embraced his sufferings because Christ could see the glory that awaited him. Question, brothers and sisters. In your trials, in your tests, in your temptations, do you see the better Christian that you will become at the end? Do you? Or do you, all you see is fog and, and haziness and, and, all do you, and, and do you have only just resentment in, in, your, in your body and, and hatred and anger? Because you can't see what's past temporary, what's temporary, and, and you can't see what's necessary for you to grow. Our sanctification process hurts. It hurts a lot. A whole lot. And when you are going through those growing pains... Don't be angry at God and don't be angry at other people. But consider it a privilege because God is slowly conforming you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Again, I read the words of Paul. We glory in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. I understand that anger is usually our first reaction to a trial, but it doesn't need to be our lasting emotion through a trial. 
You have to see that God is doing something so great, something so grand, something so far beyond our comprehension. Here's some other verses that, that you guys should remember when it comes to anger. Ecclesiastes 7.9, control your temper. Your anger labels you a fool. Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Proverbs 14.17, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. And a man of wicked intentions is hated. Proverbs 29.11 Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm to the end. So endure hardships, brothers and sisters of the faith. When we are going, when we are angry, we tend to do the most dumbest things, don't we? We tend to say the most dumbest things. And one of the problems with our anger is we always feel like it's justified at the time. I have a right to be mad. He cut me off. I have a right to be mad. They gave me attitude. I have a right to be mad. My food came out and it was cold. We always justify our anger at that time. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when it's okay to be angry, but, but the problem is our anger is an emotion that's most prone to sinful abuse. Ten times out of ten, it always leads to sin. Our anger often leads to sin instead of prayer and godly counsel and wisdom. And none is more evident when you're going through a trial. Trials and tests are good for us, brothers and sisters. Don't allow your anger to tell you otherwise. But this doesn't apply only to trials and tests. But anger, this, this, this theme of, of being slow to anger should apply to your general life as a whole. We all are to be slow to anger because anger is a violent passion of the mind. Now, like I said, of course, not all anger is bad. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry, but sin not. I understand that. And I've wrestled with that so many times. But I think what the passage means is anger is the anger that's not sin, is the anger that's directed at sin, not people. So be angry, but be angry at your sin and be angry that you fell and be angry that you have disobeyed a holy, righteous God and you have violated his holy law. Be angry at that. But then turn around and preach to yourself the gospel. <clears throat> James says we are, to be, we are to be slow to getting angry. We are to be emotionally self-controlled. That means if someone does something wrong toward us, we are to check our heart at the moment. We will, will we allow our person, that person who, who did us wrong to stir up anger inside of us? That's one question to ask yourself. When, when someone does something wrong to you, ask yourself, is it even worthy of getting mad about? That's, I've, I've learned that recently, and man, it has helped me so much. Friends, Sometimes it's best to overlook the people who have done you wrong. Because if not, your anger will justify you being right and being angry. Let's also understand that anger denies the gospel. Anger denies the gospel. Anger is an offense to the gospel. Because anger acts as if people should be more concerned about pleasing you and caring for your emotion than pleasing God and what God requires. Anger is selfish. And being angry is not productive. Why? Look at what James says at the ending of verse, 20, of verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does that mean? James here 
says, or James here is not talking about the gift of perfect righteousness or the right legal standing that we received if we are in Christ. Rather, he speaks of a more general right living that God desires for his people. God desires obedience to his law. Well, this is not a salvific type of, of perfect righteousness or righteousness. This is an everyday living righteousness that's still demanded by our Lord. Simply put, our anger doesn't produce the character that marks us out as followers of God. And that character is righteousness. In order for us to live holy lives and conform to the image of Christ, our anger must be checked and it must be controlled. So if you have an anger problem, I encourage you to dive in to what the word of God says about anger. Because anger is an offense to the gospel. Anger is an offense to a holy God. In closing, I'll leave you with the, word, with the words of James in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Brothers and sisters, take off all the filth in your life and accept God's word. As hard as it is, accept God's word. Humbly accept God's word. Embrace it. Put off the old self. Put on the clean clothes of the new, the new life that you have in Christ. Live a life that reflects God's character and let other people see the loving kindness that God has for sinners in the way you behave. Because you are a reflection of the gospel. You are products of the gospel. What can we take away from these three verses? Well, all of us can recall times when we were too quick to speak and not quick enough to hear. All of us can recall times when our anger has gotten the best of us. But here in these verses, James wants true believers to evaluate themselves, to see if they are of the faith. Whether you are in a trial or testing or whether you are in a time when everything is going fine, let us always be quick to the hearing of the word of God. Always be quick to the hearing of the word of God. Let us remember that listening is also better than speaking. It's okay to be a good listener. That's why in my life I have put a premium on listening. Because Lord knows that I talk way too much. Friends, learn to control your tongue. And learn how to choose your words wisely when you are going through a trial. And when you're just, when everything's going fine. And lastly, be slow to anger. Ask yourself in the midst of your anger, am I displaying the image of God? Am I angry because of selfish reasons or am I angry because it just feels good at the time and have a right to be angry? Remember, remember, brothers and sisters, anger doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't produce a Christian that marks you out as a true follower of Christ. But let's remember that true followers of Christ obey God's word and want to conform to the image of his son. Let's, let us keep those three things in mind during the rest of the week. Let's stand.